This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks to download the PDF of this book or to purchase a hard copy. The Reduction of Christianity, a Biblical Response to Dave Hunt by Gary DeMar and Peter Lightheart. Copyright 1988 by American Vision, Atlanta, Georgia. Published by Dominion Press, Fort Worth, Texas. And American Vision, Atlanta, Georgia. Narrated by Rick Comerick. To Weldon and Kathleen Townsend, Faithful Bereans, Acts 1711. Forward by Gary North. I was not aware that I had written books against Dominion theology. I have made some mention of Dominion theology in the final chapter of each of my last two books, but I doubt that it would require an entire volume to respond to what I have said. Dave Hunt. It is a bit perplexing to find out how little credit Mr. Hunt wants to take regarding the origin of the widely circulated accusation that Christian Reconstructionists are implicit theological allies of the New Age movement. Given the amount of time that at least one television evangelist devotes Sunday evening after Sunday evening to attacking Dominion theology, and given the fact that he admitted to me personally that he received this information originally from Mr. Hunt's books, this statement by Mr. Hunt was unexpected, to say the least. Like an arsonist caught in the act who insists that he only lit only one small match, Mr. Hunt's reluctance to take full credit seems somewhat self-interested. Mr. Hunt is correct in one respect. It does not require an entire volume to refute what he has said. Refutation is never sufficient. The critic has an obligation to offer a positive alternative. Therefore, it does require an entire volume to show that what Dave Hunt has said rests on a specific view of the Bible, the Church, and the Holy Spirit that has misled millions of otherwise dedicated Christians. It does require a book to present a Bible-based alternative to pessimism concerning the future effects in history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mr. Hunt has called into question the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people to the foot of the cross, to transform the lives of lost sinners, and to give them hope that they or their spiritual heirs will be able to see Jesus Christ exalted throughout the world. Mr. Hunt has made it look as though the words of Isaiah will not come true. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah 11, 9-10, New King James. But these words will come true. The Bible is the very word of God. It cannot be overcome by God-haters, communists, New Agers, or any other anti-Christian force in history. Our God's inspired word is sure. We Christians can be absolutely confident that someday the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is an old political slogan, you can't beat something with nothing. To call Dave Hunt's theology into question is not enough. Gary DeMar and Peter Lightheart have done far more than merely show why Mr. Hunt's theology gives too much credit to the satanic God-haters of this world. They show what the Bible offers as an alternative to the humanist kingdom of man. They show that the Bible offers Christians blueprints for bringing Satan and his forces under the dominion of Jesus Christ. Mr. Hunt believes that this is impossible, even for Jesus Christ himself, as we shall see. On this point, he has broken with the whole history of the church, including traditional dispensational theology. 
This is the peculiar fact. Dave Hunt has written a book, Beyond Seduction, that actually teaches that the future millennial reign of Christ will not be the kingdom of God on earth, yet hundreds of thousands of dispensationalists have failed to recognize that his book overthrows just about everything that dispensationalists have taught regarding the triumphant premillennial reign of Christ. The reduction of Christianity proves that Dave Hunt has, in fact, abandoned traditional dispensational theology, and he has substituted something very different in its place, something that inevitably undermines Christians' confidence in the gospel. The theological issues are clear. You need to think about them. First, does God's word teach that Satan will be victorious over God's people in history? Second, does the Bible teach that the healing power of the Holy Spirit only affects the soul and not family, schools, businesses, communities, and every area of life? In other words, does Christ offer comprehensive salvation or a very limited salvation? Third, is the Holy Spirit so limited that he is unable to bring millions upon millions of people to Christ? Fourth, does the Holy Spirit empower Christians to obey God's law? Fifth, does obeying the law of God weaken those who obey, and does disobedience to the law of God strengthen those who disobey? Six, do we Christians represent Christ on earth in the same way that God-haters represent Satan? Seventh, if we do represent Christ in this way, wouldn't our defeat by Satan's forces in history make Jesus a loser in history? Do you really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, plans to be a loser in history? Representative Government the issue of representation is crucial. Let me ask you a question. Does Satan seek to establish his kingdom on earth? You may think this is a foolish question. Of course he does. Millions of Christians even believe that his kingdom is the dominant one in history. But do you also believe that Satan must rule in person, visibly, from some nation, in order to establish his kingdom? As far as I know, no theologian has ever argued that Satan must appear in person as a leader of his forces in order to establish his kingdom on earth. He always uses representatives, the beast, the antichrist, etc. No Christian commentator ever argues that Satan's use of human representatives is somehow any less of a satanic kingdom. Yet many Christians deny that Christ also rules his earthly forces through human representatives, they deny that a king normally rules through his representatives. This is why several of Jesus' parables begin with the story of a king or a landowner who journeys to a far country, but leaves his representatives, stewards, behind to rule in his name. It is true that Dominion theology teaches that we can, do, and will have a kingdom of God on earth without Jesus' physical presence in Jerusalem. This is somehow regarded as an outrageous doctrine. One tract writer says that this is the number one error of Dominion theology. And in this, we can isolate the error of hardcore Dominion theology reconstruction postmillennialism, a universal kingdom, but without a personal, physical, literal, universal king. Fine. Now... Would he argue that there is no satanic kingdom either because Satan is not visible and physically present on earth? Of course not. Then why does he think that dominion theology is necessarily incorrect about the reality of Christ's kingdom reign without his physical manifestation in Jerusalem? Dave Hunt even denies that Christ's personal physical reign from Jerusalem is a sign of the kingdom. Yet his supporters think that he is a defender of the old time religion. Dave Hunt vs. Dominion Theology Let us begin with the words of Jesus. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Matthew 28, 18, King James Version. We should then ask the obvious question, 
where is the earthly manifestation of Christ's power? Dave Hunt is adamant, only in the hearts of believers and maybe inside the increasingly defenseless walls of a local church or local rescue mission. As he says in response to an advertisement for my Biblical Blueprint series, the Bible doesn't teach us to build society, but instructs us to preach the gospel for one citizenship is in heaven, Colossians 3.2. It seems to me that he could have strengthened his case that we are citizens of only one country by citing a modern translation of Philippians 3.20. But this would only have deferred the question, why can't Christians be citizens of two countries? After all, they are in the world physically, yet not of the world spiritually, John 17, 14-16. Christians are, as Hunt and all Christians would insist, required to obey national laws, but also obey the Bible. To be required to obey two sets of laws is to raise the question of dual citizenship. Hunt's dispensationalist gospel is a gospel of the heart only. Jesus saves hearts only. Somehow, his gospel is not powerful enough to restore to biblical standards the institutions that he designed for mankind's benefit, but which have been corrupted by sin. Hunt's view of the gospel is that Jesus can somehow save sinners without having their salvation affect the world around them. He forgets that institutions consist of people, souls. His gospel says, heal souls, not institutions. Hunt separates the preaching of the gospel from the concerns of society. He separates heavenly citizenship from earthly citizenship. In short, he has reinterpreted the great commission of Jesus Christ to his followers. All power is given unto me in heaven, but none in earth. A similar otherworldly view of Christ's authority is shared by many amillennialists. Christ's earthly power can only be manifested when he returns physically to set up a top-down bureaucratic kingdom in which Christians will be responsible for following the direct orders of Christ, issued to meet specific historical circumstances. Such a view has so little faith in the power of the Bible's perfect revelation, empowered by the Holy Spirit to shape the thoughts and actions of Christians, that Jesus must return and personally issue millions of orders per day, telling everyone what to do, case by case, crisis by crisis. For years, Christian Reconstructionists have argued that such a view of social affairs is inherent in premillennialism. In recent years, premillennial activists have denied this accusation. The intellectual roots of the recent rise of premillennial activism, however, can be traced back to the tiny band of postmillennial Reconstructionists. The premillennial camp is becoming divided, as Dave Hunt has noted. Hunt presents himself, misleadingly, as a representative of the older dispensational premillennialism of the 1925 through 75 period, a no-nonsense defender of the earthly defeat of the church. His book, The Seduction of Christianity, has become the number one Christian bestseller of the 1980s, the biggest selling book on eschatology since Hal Lindsey's books. Hunt is consistent about his earthly pessimism, even to the point of denying that Jesus' reign on earth will be a manifestation of the kingdom of God. He spells out in no uncertain terms just what his radical brand of dispensationalism necessarily implies. In a taped interview with the publisher of the Canadian newsletter, Omega Letter, Hunt says in response to Christian Reconstructionist, You're looking forward to meeting Jesus, who, when you meet him, your feet are planted on planet Earth, and he simply has arrived to take over this beautiful kingdom you've established for him. Then you've been under heavy delusion. You've been working for the Antichrist and not for the true Christ. Back in the 1950s, J. Vernon McGee, the pastor of a very large dispensational congregation in Los Angeles, made the following classic statement about the futility of social reform. 
you don't polish brass on a sinking ship. The phrase has become a favorite jibe against dispensational social pessimism and defeatism among Christian Reconstructionists. Rush Dooney has quoted it for three decades. It is remarkable that Peter Lalonde, the publisher of the Omega Letter, repeats it favorably in his taped interview with Dave Hunt. Do you polish brass on a sinking ship? And if they're, reconstructionist, working on setting up new institutions instead of going out and winning the loss for Christ, then they're wasting the most valuable time on planet Earth. Thus, Dave Hunt denies the progressive maturity of Christianity and Christian-operated social institutions in history, meaning pre-second coming history. The millennium ruled by Christ, Hunt says, will be a world in which justice will be meted out swiftly, Jesus will treat men as fathers treat five-year-old children. Instant punishment. No time for reflection and repentance. Christians today are given time to think through their actions, to reflect upon their past sins, and to make restitution before God judges them. Today, they are treated by God as responsible adults. Not in the millennium. The church will go from maturity to immaturity when Christ returns in power. And even with the testimony of perfect visible rule of Jesus on earth for a thousand years, Satan will still thwart Christ and Christ's church, for at Satan's release, he will deceive almost the whole world, leading them to rebel against Christ and the saints in Jerusalem. Dave Hunt versus the Kingdom of God In short, Hunt argues the plan of God points only to the defeat of his church in history. He is saying that Satan got the upper hand in Eden and even the raw power of God during the millennium until the final judgment at the end of history will not wipe out the kingdom of Satan and restore the creation to wholeness. Thus, he concludes, the kingdom of God will never be manifested on earth, not even during dispensationalism's earthly millennium. I know of no pessimism regarding history greater than his statement that even the triumphant Pre-millennial reign of Christ physically on earth will end when the vast majority of people will rebel against him, converge upon Jerusalem, and try to destroy the faithful people inside the city. Converging from all over the world to war against Christ and the saints at Jerusalem, these rebels will finally have to be banished from God's presence forever, Revelation 27-10. through 10. The millennial reign of Christ upon earth, rather than being the kingdom of God, will in fact be the final proof of the incorrigible nature of the human heart. Actually, this is one of the most astounding statements ever written by any Christian author in history. The millennial reign of Christ upon earth, rather than being the kingdom of God, will in fact be the final proof of the incorrigible nature of the human heart. He argues that this rebellion is the final act in history. But if this reign of Christ is not the kingdom of God, then just what is it that Jesus will deliver up to his Father at the last day? How do we make sense of the following prophecy? Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy shall be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 24-26, KJV Hunt knows that Christ's destruction of the final satanic rebellion puts down death. So the kingdom spoken of, so the kingdom spoken of in this passage has to be Christ's millennial reign, whether physical, premillennialism, spiritual, amillennialism, or covenantal, postmillennialism. That he could make a mistake as large as this one indicates that he is a weak reed for dispensationalists to rest on. At this late date, in their attempt to refute Christian optimism regarding the church's earthly future, 
the exegetical crisis of premillennial dispensationalism is becoming evident, for dispensationalists have failed to recognize the enormous threat to their theological system that Hunt's book have presented. That Dave Hunt, a man with a bachelor's degree in mathematics, is now the most prominent theologian of the dispensational movement, as immune from public criticism by dispensational theologians as Hal Lindsey was in the 1970s, indicates the extent of the crisis. The amateurs give away the store theologically, and the seminary professors say nothing, as if these paperback defenders had not delivered mortal blows to the dispensational system. He refuses to let go. In tape two of the widely distributed three-tape interview with Peter Lalonde, he announces that God himself is incapable of setting up an earthly kingdom. In fact, dominion, taking dominion, and setting up the kingdom for Christ is an impossibility, even for God. The millennial reign of Christ, far from being the kingdom, is actually the final proof of the incorrigible nature of the human heart, because Christ himself can't do what these people say they are going to do. Compare this with Hal Lindsey's comment under Paradise Restored. God's kingdom will be characterized by peace and equity, and by universal spirituality and knowledge of the Lord. Even the animals and reptiles will lose their ferocity and no longer be carnivorous. All men will have plenty and be secure. There will be a chicken in every pot, and no one will steal it. The great society which human rulers throughout the centuries have promised, but never produced, will at last be realized under Christ's rule. The meek and not the arrogant will inherit the earth, Isaiah 11. Or again, that time is coming when believers in Jesus Christ are going to walk upon this earth and see it in perfect condition. Pollution will be passe. Jesus Christ is going to re recycle the late great planet earth. All this kingdom perfection during the millennium is abandoned by Dave Hunt. In his desperate yet consistent attack on dominion theology, he has scrapped traditional dispensationalism's last remaining traces of optimism about history in order to paint a picture of inconceivable despair. Even God cannot set up a kingdom on earth. Yet we Christian Reconstructionists are criticized by a minority of activist dispensationalists for saying that dispensationalism is inherently a pessimistic worldview. If it isn't, then why did Dave Hunt's book become the best-selling Christian books of the 1980s? because his traditional dispensational readers apparently agree with him. They recognize that today's growing number of dispensational political and social activists are no longer voicing the original theology of dispensationalism, but have adopted dominion theology, an implicitly postmillennial worldview. Dave Hunt has presented to his traditional dispensationalist readers a theology of historical despair a world forever without any cultural manifestation of the kingdom of God. If this is not a truly consistent version of dispensational theology, then why are all the leaders of dispensationalism silent about his books? If Hal Lindsey rejects Hunt's totally pessimistic cultural conclusions, then why doesn't he say so publicly? Why don't the faculty members at Dallas Seminary and Grace Seminary voice their disapproval? Do they agree with him or not? Power or Ethics here is Hunt's second message. The gospel and history is doomed to cultural failure. The first message is that God's Old Testament law is no longer binding in New Testament times, which is why he is so pessimistic. He no longer rests spiritually on the idea that God blesses his covenant people externally in terms of our faithfulness to his law, nor does he bring his enemies visibly low in history because of their covenantal rebellion. In both premillennialism and amillennialism, we see the underlying theology of the power religion. 
The issues of history will be settled in Christ's favor only through a final physical confrontation between God and Satan at the end of time, Revelation 20. The history of the church is therefore irrelevant. The conflict of the ages will be settled apart from the gospel, ethics, and the dominion covenant issued to Adam, Genesis 1:26 through 28, Noah, Genesis 9:1 through 17, and the church, Matthew 28:18 through 20. The conflict of the ages will be settled in a kind of cosmic arm wrestling match between God and Satan. The church is nothing more than a vulnerable bystander to this final cosmic event. Yet we all know who will win in a war based strictly on power. We know that God has more power than Satan. Satan knows too. What Christians need to believe now and throughout eternity is that the earthly authority which comes progressively to Christians as God's reward to his people in response to their righteousness under Christ and under biblical law is greater than the earthly authority progressively granted by Satan to his followers for their rebellion against God. Unfortunately, for the history of the gospel during the last century, both premillennialism and amillennialism deny this fundamental truth. Pessimists preach that the power granted to Satan's human followers in history will always be greater than the power granted by God to his people in history, meaning before Jesus' second coming physically. They preach historic defeat for the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they have denied the only basis of long-term victory for Christians, the continuing validity of God's Old Testament law, empowered in their lives by the Holy Spirit, the church's tool of dominion. The Ultimate Form of Pessimism Christian Reconstructionists believe that God will steadily transform this world ethically as he brings people to himself in grace. Given the depravity of man, he is the only one who can transform this world. But how does he do this? Through demons? No. Through fallen men who are on the side of demons in their rebellion against God? No. So what is God's historic means of making the world better? The preaching of the gospel. This is what postmillennialists have always taught, and the comprehensive success of the gospel in history is what postmillennialism's critics have always denied. The critics categorically deny that the gospel of Christ will ever change most men's hearts at any future point in history. The gospel in this view is a means primarily of condemning gospel-rejecting people to hell, not a program leading to the victory of Christ's people in history. The gospel cannot transform the world, they insist. Pessimism regarding the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in history is what best defines pessimism. There is no pessimism in the history of man that is more pessimistic than this eschatological pessimism regarding the power of the gospel in history. The universal destruction of mankind by nuclear war, a myth by the way, is downright optimistic compared to pessimism with regard to the transforming power of the gospel in history. This pessimism testifies that the incorrigible human heart is more powerful than God in history, that Satan's defeat of Adam in the garden is more powerful in history than Christ's defeat of Satan at Calvary. It denies Paul's doctrine of triumphant grace in history. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Romans 5.20 KJV Does grace struggle so that sin might more abound in history? Deliberately deceiving the faithful. What do pessimists say in response? They denounce anyone who proclaims eschatological optimism as a heretical preacher of utopia. Dave Hunt writes, a perfect Edenic environment where all ecological 
economic, sociological, and political problems are solved fails to perfect mankind, so much for the theories of psychology and sociology and utopian dreams. Here is the key word used again and again by pessimists to dismiss postmillennialism, utopia, utopia, u equals no, topos equals place. In short, they regard as totally mythological the idea that God's word, God's spirit, God's law, and God's church can change the hearts of most people sometime in the future. They assume, without any clear biblical support, that Revelation 27 through 10 describes a final rebellion in which most people on earth rebel. Despite the fact that only one-third of the angels, stars, rebelled with Satan, and only one-third of the earth is symbolically brought under God's wrath in the book of Revelation's judgment passages, Revelations 8, 7 through 12, 9, 15, 18. Confidence in man? Over and over, pessimists accuse postmillennialists of having too much confidence in man. This is really astounding when you think about it, because all the primary defenders of modern postmillennialism have been Calvinist and usually followers of Cornelius Van Til. Normally, nobody accuses Calvinist of having too elevated a view of man. What with the Calvinist doctrine of man's total depravity and man's inability to respond in faith to the gospel without God's predestinating irresistible grace to force conversions, Postmillennialists never argue for a confidence in mankind as such. They only argue for the increasing long-term influence in history of regenerate, covenantally faithful people compared to unregenerate, covenantally rebellious people. What the pessimists argue is the opposite. 1. The steadily increasing long-term authority in history of unregenerate, covenantally rebellious people and two, the declining cultural influence of regenerate, covenantally faithful people. It is not confidence in man that is the basis of postmillennial optimism. It is confidence in the covenantal faithfulness of God, in rewarding covenant keepers, Deuteronomy 28, 1-14, and punishing covenant breakers, Deuteronomy 28, 15-68. Listen to the words of Professor Thomas Sproul over a century ago regarding the coming period of millennial blessings. In order to accomplish this, the presence of the humanity of Christ is not necessary. The destruction of the kingdom of Satan cannot be done by a nature, but by a person. It is the work not of humanity, but of divinity. That kingdom extends over the whole world and requires for its overthrow an omnipresent power. It received its death blow when our Lord, by his resurrection, was declared to be the Son of God, Romans 1.14. In his ascension, he spoiled the principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, Colossians 2.15. His manifestation in the flesh was necessary that he might make atonement for sin, but by his incarnation, he received no increase in strength for vanquishing his enemies. It is indeed the God-man that gains victory, not by human, but by divine power. How much plainer could he be? The basis of millennial blessing in history is the power of God in history, not the power of man in history. Yet our opponents for over a century have boldly and unconsciously distorted the post-millennialist expectation of the millennium. These leaders have not been ignorant men. They have been able to read. They have simply and deliberately preferred to mislead their followers. It is not an intellectual defect on their part. It is a moral defect. Dave Hunt has gone one step beyond. He not only rejects postmillennial optimism, he even implies that to hold such a view of the future is to give aid to the New Age movement. 
Dominion, Theology, and the New Age Movement. Christianity is the source of the idea of progress in the history of mankind. Other groups have stolen this vision and have reworked it along anti-Christian lines, from the Enlightenment to the Social Gospel Movement to the New Age Movement, but this does not mean that post-millennial optimism is the cause of the thefts. It only means that Satan recognizes the motivating power of Orthodox Christian theology. It surely doesn't mean that eschatological pessimism is in any way an effective shield against humanism, New Age philosophy, or socialism. New Age social theorist Jeremy Rifkin is proof enough. He is a pessimist who appeals for support to eschatological pessimists within the Christian community. What is even more galling is that Dave Hunt has tried to link the Christian Reconstruction movement with the New Age movement. Simply because Christian Reconstructionists, as Dominion theologians, proclaim the legitimacy of social action along biblical lines. What angers traditional premillennialists is that Reconstructionists say that the world is not going to hell in a handbasket. Satan's world is going there, not the kingdom of God, which does have manifestations on earth. I wrote the first Christian book exposing the theology of the New Age movement in 1976. None dare call it witchcraft, years before Dave Hunt wrote anything about it. Yet the cassette tape buying public is tantalized by the Omega Letter advertising piece for its three-tape interview with Hunt, in which the copywriter asks some legally safe but preposterous leading questions. Is Dominion theology placing the church in allegiance with the New Age and globalist groups who are trying to build a new world order of peace and prosperity? Does Dominion theology represent a rejection of the finished work of the cross? Dave Hunt, citing 2 Peter 3.11 and erroneously attributing to Peter the words of Isaiah 34.4, states categorically that theological optimism towards the gospel's power to transform this earth is a stepping stone to humanism. Instead, we should turn totally from this earth. Hunt separates heaven from the earth so completely that the earth must show no signs in history of God's healing power. This is an explicit, self-conscious defense of the theology that undergirds that old line. He is so totally spiritual that he's no earthly good. Hunt implicitly denies Jesus' required prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10 KJV Now you would say, boy, that's a pretty hopeless thing. Well, but Peter didn't say that. He said, seeing that these things will all be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversations and godliness? He said, The day of the Lord is coming in which the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and so forth. And that, in fact, Peter says, ought to motivate us to holy living, to turn totally from this world, from the materialization and all the ambitions and so forth, to hope in the heavenlies, in a new creation, and it ought to motivate us to godliness. But these people are saying, no, the motivation we need is the desire to build, to reconstruct planet Earth, to realize that ecologically we've got problems. I mean, we should be concerned about all that. I'm not denying that, but that's not our hope. That's not the primary goal of the church social transformation, but the primary goal is to save souls and to bring men to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I feel, I, I don't feel, I'm convinced that the kingdom dominion preaching is playing into the hands of the very lie that turns us from the cross and from the gospel and the true solution to a humanistic idea, but all done in the name of Jesus Christ and for good cause. 
Even the idea of cleaning up the earth is a socialistic New Age deception, in Dave Hunt's view. He is quite specific about the link between the New Age movement and ecology. But forgetting that for a moment, people will say, well, I mean, you know, whether we are going to be taken to heaven, or whether the kingdom is on this earth, or, you know, whether we are going to be raptured, or whether we are not going to be raptured, those are future events. Let's not worry about that. Let's unite in our common concern for our fellow man and so forth. That opens the door to a very deceptive lie, which literally turns us from heaven as our hope to this earth, which is at the heart of the kingdom dominion teaching, that we, man, was given dominion over this earth and that the problem is that he lost the dominion to satan and that the big thing is that we need to regain the dominion but it opens the door to a marriage with new age beliefs as you know with humanistic beliefs so that we will all be joining together and working for ecological wholeness working for peace working for prosperity because we are not concerned about heaven or the return of christ or the rapture but we have got to be concerned about earth the threat of ecological collapse, the threat of a nuclear holocaust. Here we have the continuing historical theme in all traditional Christian pessimism, the radical separation of heaven and earth, which necessarily implies the increasing connection between hell and earth. The pessimists are promoting the spread of Satan's imitation new world order when they protest the validity of Christ's new world order, which he established definitively with his death, resurrection, and the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Pessimism delivers the world to Satan and his followers by default, and all in the name of biblical orthodoxy. Who's New World Order? Now let me say right here, I believe in the New World Order of Jesus Christ, inaugurated at Calvary and visibly sanctioned in history by the resurrection and ascension of Christ to the right hand of God, where he now reigns in power and glory. What I reject is the imitation New World Order of humanism. But there is a biblical new world order. There is a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, New King James Version. This new creation was established definitively at Calvary. It is being established progressively in history, and it will be established finally at the Day of Judgment. We cannot expect to beat something with nothing. We cannot expect to defeat the humanist New World Order with the theology of guaranteed historical defeat, the theology of traditional pessimistic eschatologies. We must fight theological hellfire with theological heavenfire, just as God fought it at the destruction of Sodom. The Sodomites lost that confrontation, not Lot, and certainly not Abraham. Pessimists forget this. Nevertheless, just because Christian Reconstructionists preach victory for the church in history, we are now being linked to the New Age movement, a movement that I led the fight against long ago. We have seen this strategy before. The Pharisees said that Christ was in league with Satan because he successfully cast out demons. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed, and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub the prince of the devils. Matthew 12:22-24 KJV The Pharisees could not deny that Christ had achieved a visible victory over a demon. The blind man saw. Mute before, he could now speak. This called into question the narrow, 
Palestine-bound religion of the Pharisees. It meant that the son of David, the promised Messiah, had come among them. This was a threat to their nationalistic religion. It was a threat to their working alliance with the humanist Roman Empire. They had bowed the knee politically to Rome's humanist empire, and now Christ's manifestation of power was calling their compromise into question. The alliance between the Pharisees' escapist religion and Rome's power religion was being challenged by Christ's dominion religion. The escape religionists resented this as they always do. Christ was challenging their theology of an exclusively internalized kingdom of God in the midst of a hostile, all-powerful kingdom of political humanism. Christ replied in kind, showing them a new theology about the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come upon you. Matthew 12, 25-27, KJV. How do we know that the kingdom of God is now on earth? Because of this verse, among others, Jesus did cast out devils by the Spirit of God. He did use the power of God to overcome Satan. He did heal the sick. And he will conquer his enemies through his church in history before he comes again in final judgment. He now reigns in heaven at the right hand of God, Ephesians 1, 19-22. He reigns now, both in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 18-20. Because he cast out demons by the Spirit of God, we know that the kingdom of God has come unto us. We also have that same Holy Spirit. The victory and principle is behind us. For he hath put all things under his feet, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty seven KJV. Anyone who denies this denies the cross of Christ. This is why it is preposterous to see the defeat preachers ask, does Dominion theology represent a rejection of the finished work of the cross? No, Dominion theology affirms Christ's definitive victory over Satan at Calvary. What outrages the escape religionists is that postmillennialists also preach Christ's progressive victory over Satan in history through his church. Hunt categorically and self-consciously denies victory in history for the church of Jesus Christ. He affirms that Christ's chosen people are losers in history. This is exactly what the Pharisees taught the Jews, that until the Messiah came, the Jews would be losers in history. This was the basis of the Pharisees' political compromise with the Roman Empire. Victory could not come until the Messiah came. Victory was always in the future. Victory was always on Messiah's shoulders and always far ahead in time. And indeed, victory was on Messiah's shoulders, which was what Christ's miracles announced. But this meant that the Pharisees had to bow to Christ rather than Rome, that they would have to start preaching gospel victory and training redeemed people to exercise dominion. This was unacceptable to the Pharisees. It meant political trouble with Rome. It also meant that they would be responsible for working out in history the Bible's principles of social transformation. And on a worldwide scale, for they would have to begin preaching a comprehensive gospel of total healing. The Pharisees refused to accept this responsibility. They hated the very idea of worldwide responsibility. They wanted peace with Rome. But the church believed Christ, which is why Christ's church took the gospel to the world in power, 
while the Jews were scattered by the Romans in a series of historic defeats, beginning with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. The post-millennial Christian Reconstructionists unquestionably teach that there will be a future era in which the gospel heals the souls of large numbers of people, and these healed people will then work to subdue the earth to the glory of God. But this is the offense in Hunt's eyes, the optimism about visible manifestations of God's kingdom on earth, he says, is what the New Age movement is all about. Conclusion Although Dave Hunt denies that he has called postmillennial Reconstructionist New Agers, there can be no doubt that he hints at this supposed relationship. His followers have picked up on the accusation, and I have letters in my files that prove this. We should not make eschatology the test of being a fellow traveler of the New Age movement. The New Age movement's three key doctrines are all anti-Christian. 1. Reincarnation. 2. The divinization of man. And 3. Techniques of higher consciousness as a means to divinization. There are optimistic New Agers and there are pessimistic New Agers. Jeremy Rifkin is the most influential New Age social philosopher, and he is self-consciously pessimistic, and he is self-consciously targeted premillennialists as those Christians closest to his worldview. I could make a far better case for Dave Hunt as a secret New Ager than he has been able to make concerning me. But either argument and either innuendo would be equally wrong, both morally and factually. Orthodox Christianity is inherently opposed to New Age doctrines. The early Christian creeds were statements of faith drawn up when proto-New Age theologians began to mislead Christian believers. Gary DeMar and Peter Lightheart argue that the worldview of Dave Hunt leads to a shortened view of time, a minimal view of Christians' authority in history, and their responsibility in history. Dave Hunt is a self-conscious cultural retreatist. He has raised the white flag in the name of true Christianity. Where views such as his predominate, the church becomes temporarily what he says it will be in the future, a loser. When Christians start winning in history, as they surely will, they will look back in amazement that anyone calling himself a Christian would have such a low view of the church in history, and such a low view of the civilization transforming power of the gospel in history. They will be amazed that any Christian could have believed that God would voluntarily transfer more power to Satan in history than to the Holy Spirit. They will perhaps be most amazed that millions of those Christians who are most vocal in their preaching of the Holy Spirit, meaning Pentecostals and Charismatics, have also preached some version of the traditional dispensationalism. Thousands of them have read and approved of Dave Hunt's seduction of Christianity. Such a view of the church's future is totally inconsistent with their view of the Holy Spirit, as Gary DeMar and Peter Lightheart demonstrate clearly in the reduction of Christianity. I have made a series of very serious accusations. I have said that pessimists believe that the Christian gospel that saves men's souls will have no long-term positive effects in society at large. They therefore are forced to deny that the progressive sanctification of Christians in history will produce positive results in society that will then lead to the long-term social transformation of society at large. They therefore deny the cause and effect relationship between Christians, progressive faithfulness, and the progressive healing of society. Pessimists look forward to the millennium as a period of reduced personal responsibility for Christians. For Jesus will issue orders to people and rule with an iron hand. They tend to see the historic battle between Christ and Satan in terms of cosmic power, not human ethics. This is because they reject the continuing validity of Old Testament law today. 
They therefore have to adopt neutral concepts of natural law that are shared by covenant breakers and covenant keepers. In contrast, Christian Reconstructionists believe that God can and will transform social institutions for the better in the future. They believe that God will use Christians to achieve this improvement. They affirm the historic power of the Church, the Holy Spirit, and God's law. They therefore believe in the cultural, transforming power of the Gospel and history. Christian Reconstructionists have little confidence in man as such, but they do have confidence in the Lord as he works through redeemed, faithful men. For those who persist in accusing Christian Reconstructionists of being heretical, let alone cult members because of the supposed connection between Reconstructionism and something called the Manifest Sons of God, let me refer you to the conclusion of the Christian Research Institute, whose director is Walter R. Martin, author of The Kingdom of the Cults. In its newsletter of November 2, 1987, CRI subscribers were correctly informed that the Dominion or Kingdom Now teaching which has developed from the Positive Confession and Manifest Sons of God movements is different from Reconstructionism, page 4. With respect to Christian Reconstructionism's five central points, Calvinism, Covenantal Theology, Biblical Law, Theonomy, Presuppositional Apologetics, Vantillianism, and Postmillennialism, the report distinguished the Reconstructionist system from some of the positions of CRI, but assured its readers that these doctrines are not heretical. Let theological critics less well-versed in cultism than Dr. Martin be forewarned. A word to the wise should be sufficient. The not-so-wise probably won't be satisfied with an entire book, but I've decided to publish this one anyway.